Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. When I'm searching for meaning, validation, or a challenge, I'll often find it through an exchange between fictional characters or in the lyric of a transformative album. Aisha Harris, Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm joined by Bookshelf Floor Manager Olivia Schaefer and online sales manager Aaron Fielding to give you a rundown of our favorite new books releasing in June. Do you love listening to From the Front Porch every week? Spread the word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, Scroll down until you see write a review and then tell us what you think. Here is a recent review from Meredith. Love the book recaps. I love this podcast. I really appreciate the episodes where they recap what they read in the last month or the books to come in the next month. It usually gives me new books to check out or affirms my interest in books I'm excited about. Definitely recommend for any book or reading lover. Thank you, Meredith, and thank you to all of the reviewers who've left kind words and thoughtful reviews about the show. We are so grateful anytime you share From the Front Porch with your friends. Thank you for spreading the word about not only our podcast, but also about our small, independently owned bookstore. Now, back to the show. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. Welcome back. Are you all ready? (laughs) Are you guys ready to get in the rhythm? Are you ready to talk about? Um, I hesitated when recording this because I thought the books we're looking forward to for June. Surely not. Surely, surely we're going to be talking about May. But no, it's May right now. And we're going to be talking about (laughs) June. It just feels, does the year feel like it has flown or it has dragged, but somehow it's June? I can't decide. I keep getting lost in May. I like yeah. I know what date it is today and mm-hmm. I know what date it's going to be this weekend but next mm-hmm. weekend I'm just like is it still May or is it the <laughs> second week of May or is it June <laughs> where are we in May we had so much going on in April and I think mm-hmm. I thought oh May will feel so different no ma'am no <laughs> it has, I just feel like like I was telling Aaron, I still have to read Bleak House. Like all, it doesn't matter how hard I have tried to like perfectly schedule each day to accommodate the work I need to do in each day. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. (laughs) I just feel very behind. It's a parenting sort of meme going around, but I'm sure it applies to almost everyone that there's, this is like May-cember, which is like, Like it's just for parents, it's like all of the end of the school year stuff, all of the end of the of the year recitals, all of the you know end of the year parties, and then I decided to be in a play on top of it, and so it's just sort of like all of these things are just all have to happen in May, and like Olivia said, for me it's like okay if I can just get through next weekend, but then we still have a whole another week of May right. after that. It's still May. And it still feels like <laughs> mid-May next week, right. but it's not yeah. mid-May next week. At some point, yeah. I'm going on vacation, yeah. and I think I've forgotten <laughs> that, too. And yeah. I'm like, 
I hope I don't regret taking my vacation to like in in May because then we still have June and July. Like, do you know what I mean? I don't even know <laughs> yeah. the right time to take a vacation anymore. Like, <laughs> like but I thought surely oh, June will feel different. So we say every month. <laughs> I was just waiting for the laughter. I was like, no. This no. I mean, I do think it'll feel different, but then I look at the calendar and I'm like, oh, read a retreat. Yeah. Um, yeah. which which is planned. I mean, Caroline has done a beautiful job. That is, I think that is, I mean, knock on wood, but that feels like a pretty well-oiled machine yeah. at this point. Yeah. But staffing is always weird in the summer. I don't mm-hmm. know. It just feels like, but you're right. May, it's May 17th, but feels like it might as well be May 30th. Yeah. But but it's not. But also May 1st at the same time. <laughs> I was going to say, also May 1st. Yeah, it's weird. Right. But no matter what, we're talking about books for June. <laughs> yeah. We're so excited about books June. Books for June are going to be great. Yeah. They are. I think it's going to be a good month. I think summer reading, I, I can't decide what season of reading best suits you. Like, I was talking to somebody during literary therapy yesterday, and they were like, you know, I really think fall is just my reading season. And I was like, what is my reading season? Statistically, it has always been spring. Um, That's when I read the most. But when it comes to publishing and what books you like best, is it spring, summer, or fall Mm. for you? I just know come fall, I burn out by December. So I don't think it's, (laughs) I think I want it to be fall every year because there's such good titles coming out. Mm -hmm. But come like mid-November, December, I don't want to open a book. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and we're reading fall releases in the summer. Yeah. So maybe yeah. you're, maybe that's what's also weird is that you're reading fall titles, but at the beach. But I've already read them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think for me, reading in the summer is easier just because like when we've done the day's, you know, tasks, there's not like homework to check and, mm-hmm. you know, projects to finish and all these things. It just feels like I actually have a little bit more of my time. Um, of to myself during the summer. And of course there's vacations and when grandparents are helping out and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I I like to, I prefer that. I feel like I get a lot lot more reading done in the summer. Well, and maybe it's my imagination because we were just laughing about, is June going to look any different from May? But it does feel like summer at the bookshelf feels different. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe that's naive, but if it does, does, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Doesn't it feel more laid back? Am I making that up? No, no, it for it sure does. is. Yeah. Okay. So I think that also maybe that's why I like spring and summer reading as well. So there are lots of good books coming out in June. We're going to talk about them. Don't forget, listeners, as we go through June's new releases, keep in mind that Aaron has made browsing our podcast book selections easier than ever. You can go to bookshelfthomasville.com and type episode 427. You can just type 427 into the search bar and you'll see all of the books we're talking about today listed, ready for you to purchase. And then you can use code new release please at checkout and it'll get you 10% off your order of today's titles. Okay, we each have four books to talk about. Shall I kick us off? Go for it. Okay, the first book I want to talk about releases on June 6th. It is called Same Time Next Summer. This is by Annabelle Moynihan. This is a highly anticipated title for me because of how much I absolutely fell in love with Annabelle Moynihan's debut novel, Nora Goes Off Script. It is still a book I reference frequently. I probably have hand-sold it 
beyond its capacity. Like, like, like I feel like I keep hand selling it, but surely everyone locally has read it <laughs> um, because I feel like I've just have sung the praises of this book because it just felt like a romantic comedy with depth, which we don't always get. It also felt like more than a romantic comedy. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of Evie Drake Starts Over, where you have a really compelling female protagonist who has this really full, wonderful life. But then it also pulls in one of my favorite rom-com tropes, which is where the celebrity falls in love with the normal person. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I could talk about Nora Goes Off Script all day long. I loved it so much. But I think as you both know, the pressure that comes with a sophomore novel when you loved the debut, I have been a little nervous. I, I think I felt the same level of nervous to start this one as when I was reading Britt Bennett's Vanishing Half because I loved The Mothers so much. And so I just kept putting off reading it. I was aided in this procrastination because I had not received an ARC literally until yesterday as of this recording. So I have not had a chance to finish this book. However, I did start it in anticipation of recording this podcast. And despite some initial misgivings because our male lead, who I think is going to be the main love interest, Wyatt, plays the guitar... And I was immediately like, oh, dear, no. <laughs> much like, We don't do guitarists. No. Much like blonde-haired men, I am not interested yeah. in a guitar-playing male lead. <laughs> so, yeah. so I had my own personal misgivings. However, I think, and I, I want to be kind when I say this, but so far, I think same time next summer is going to correct... What I think, what was the book? Oh, dear. Olivia, help me think. Or Aaron, you might know too. Carly Fortune, Kendall read it. Every Summer summer After? Every Summer After. Mm -hmm. Okay. Every Summer After was like the book of the summer last year, and I did not enjoy it. It is okay if you did. It's also okay that I didn't. No, this is a judgment for you. But I think Same Time Next Summer deals with some of those same tropes where like, There's a boy from her past. They meet at their family beach homes off the Atlantic coast. The beach setting is already perfect. Like, I did not grow up going to the Atlantic like you did, Olivia, but the way she describes, like, running into the dunes and, like, she describes there's this scene where she's like, the beach for me is grabbing a Pop-Tart and heading down to the shore. And I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that is exactly, that is exactly. Well, and just the use of shore. Yes. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> yes. a big difference. Yes. But I, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Like we used to just, you got up in the morning, immediately put on your bathing suit, which you wore all day, grabbed a Pop-Tart and headed out. And so I feel like I'm going to love the setting automatically, but the things that maybe I didn't love about Carly Fortune's debut, I think I am going to love because I really do think Annabelle Moynihan is a talented author. And so if you like that kind of, I don't know if it really is technically a second chance romance, but that kind of story where it's your like your childhood sweetheart, your high school sweetheart, and you kind of rekindle that romance while, you know, at this family home. I think I think this is going to be for you and I think might um, actually be better than maybe the similar sounding rom-com that came out last year. I'll also say this, Nora Goes Off Script came out in hardback. This is coming out as a paperback original, which mm-hmm. my preference on the beach is always a paperback. So I think that's working in this book's favor. 
it just feels like the perfect beach read for the summer. And I'm very anxious to finish it. It's part of the reason I started it so that I could talk about it on this podcast. But now I'm annoyed because today I definitely have to read Bleak House. But what I really want to do <laughs> is go back to just keep reading. <laughs> yes, is go back to same time next summer. So this book comes out on Tuesday. It should be really delightful. If you've read Nora, I think you'll probably like this one. And I'll also give my friend Betsy a plug. Betsy did receive an advanced copy of this and texted me and said, if you're worried, don't be, this is excellent. And so I do think if you are like me and you loved Nora so much and you've been a little hesitant, I think you can calm those fears, assuage those fears. I think this is going to be fine. So it's same time next summer by Annabelle Moynihan out on Tuesday. Okay, my next one in the complete opposite form of a rom-com <laughs> <laughs> is All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. And this is <laughs> just the title. <laughs> this is out June 6th. There was literally, there's a blurb on the, it was, it was the cover of the back cover of it. And it was like, this book like grabs you by both ears and just like yells in your face. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Ready to be yelled at. <laughs> um, which sounds extremely aggressive. And uh, to be honest, this book is extremely aggressive. Like pretty much every trigger warning possible, I'm going to throw at this book, but I'm not going to tell you that because it spoils it. Um, mm. Just know that like, if you're a sensitive reader, S.A. Cosby doesn't hold back um, at all from anything in okay. plot or gruesomeness. <laughs> 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 so this is about Titus Crown, who is the first black cop in this small town in Virginia. And he's kind of like caught in like a rock and a hard place because on the one hand, he doesn't get any respect from the white community being the first black cop. And then on the other hand, he has lost respect from the black community because he's a part of the people that torment them and make their mm -hmm. lives harder. But he's just doing what he knows to be right. Um, and that's what he's trying to tell people. So like a year to the date from when he was elected, the sheriff, is a school shooting and Titus shows up and it is a young black man who is the shooter and he shoots a beloved white teacher. Mm. That's it. And then he runs out and Titus and I think like a couple other deputies, two of them being white men are there. And Titus tries to like calm the situation, tries to get the young man, the shooter to like put down his gun because he's just talking gibberish and like, clear he's not in his right mental state and in doing so the young man starts to run forward and the two white deputies shoot him and mm -hmm. so then it's this big huge uproar from both sides of the community and Titus is kind of stuck in the middle but what he realizes there's a lot more to the story than once given away the the like white teacher that was killed might actually not be this beloved member of the society that mm. everybody thinks and there's a lot deeper there's like a serial killer involved but this book is so good it's one of those like he wrote razor blade tears which i loved i thought it was incredible um i thought it slowed down a little bit in the middle this book i think i read in in one sitting because i couldn't put it down and it grabs you right mm. from the start and and you get some of Titus's backstory and it's just, oh, it's so good. But it for sure is like grab you by both ears, screaming your face. <laughs> um, so not for the faint of heart, 
and all of the trigger warnings apply. But like, please read this book. <laughs> <laughs> read it anyway. It's worth it. It's so worth it. It's so well done. I'm curious about it myself because you got me to read Razorblade Tears and I really did like it a lot. And now this, just the protagonist, Titus sounds like he's the reason to read the book right off the bat. He just sounds compelling. Absolutely. Okay. My first book, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to do this in my first one or my last one, but Mm -hmm. it's um, because I really wanted to give it its due. Um, It's How to Stay Married and The Most Insane Love Story Ever by Harrison Scott Key. It's coming out June the 13th. I have read all of Harrison's books. He's been writing for a while. He's what I would consider like a Southern humorist, um, writing about his family. And, you know, I'm used to his books having a lot of humor, a little bit of emotional moments, and, you know, some of that good old Southern flavor. And then God and Faith make a little bit of a cameo sometimes. So that's what I'm used to, right? (laughs) But this book is... It's insane. Like, I will never forget this book. And Annie and I have talked about this a lot um, in the office. And she was kind enough to let me. She also loved this book. She was kind enough to let me talk about it. (laughs) But I won't. This is not a spoiler to say that the book chronicles um, Harrison finding out that his wife, Lauren, has been having an affair with their neighbor for several years, um, beknownst to him. Um, I don't want to give any more of it away. That's really all the book blurb gives away is that you know, he finds out his wife thinks having an affair and you're sort of left to wonder what happens. Like, how did it happen? Um, what brought them to this point? And he goes through a lot of that. I mean, it is such a roller coaster. <laughs> it is like, I would, if I didn't know it was real life, I would think it was a fiction book mm-hmm. because it is just, there's so many things that happen that you're like, no, <laughs> like, no, that no normal person would do that or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, it is insane. Um, I I may have continued reading just to find out how their story ends, but what I will ultimately remember about this book is how he really owns his part in, in the infidelity. He sort of looks back and looks at what's led them to this point, and he, he grapples with his own inadequacies that have led them to this point. Um, he wrestles a lot in this book with his faith in God and Sometimes his faith in God seems like a life vest to him. And sometimes it seems like a punctured life raft (laughs) that he's slowly sinking in. And so it's a savior to him at times. And um, other times it's just like he wishes he could get out of faith, you know, as quick as as possible. Um, But it's about parenting. They have three children. And so it's about how do you parent children through this kind of thing? How do you love them? How do you set an example for them when you're going through this? It's about friendships, about who he thought was going to be there for him and who actually was there for him when this happened and friendships he developed in the midst of this and because of this. And I wouldn't call this a fun book by any means. I mean, it's it's about a real life couple and their real life infidelity and how it ruined both of their lives, basically. But it is a book so worth reading um, and I mean, he made me laugh during it. I cried at the end of it. I want everyone to read this because I want to talk to people about yeah. it. <laughs> it's so good. And like Annie has said too, you know, you said, I know some people may want to be like, well, I don't want to read about, you know, infidelity. That's, right. That seems too private. It seems too personal. And there were definitely a lot of moments in this book when I thought, how did his wife let him write this book? How mm-hmm. did she let him 
to go ahead with this because honestly, it doesn't paint her in a great light mm-hmm. for, for most of it. Um, she obviously was the one that made the choice to, to have the, the affair, but um, man, it just is such a redemptive book. And I will just think about it for a really long time because of the way he deals with it, with the way they deal with it. And um, I would say, don't Google him. Don't Google <laughs> the situation. Yeah. <laughs> just go into it, reading it. Um, you know, not knowing what the end of their story is. And it, it kept me literally up at night reading this book yeah. just to see where it would go next. I couldn't it's put insane. it down from the moment. Yeah. I, I think I took it to lunch with me one day, which yeah. what a fun book. Just highly recommend going to like a <laughs> restaurant where people know you and like plopping down and reading a book called How to Stay Married. <laughs> just highly recommend uh, the looks that you're going to get. Um, But I thought I'll read a few pages of this and just see what I think. I was immediately hooked. And the thing I guess I keep coming back to that Aaron and I discussed off air was like, it doesn't feel voyeuristic. It doesn't feel like somebody airing their dirty laundry. And in fact, for a book about infidelity, it's really a book about marriage. Like it is really, it's really a book about what you choose when you choose marriage. And I, I loved it. I I actually, I've talked, I've talked Jordan's ear off about it, but I think I'm going to make him read it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, it almost is a, a marriage manual yeah. in a way. Like it's sort of like, here's how we started. Here's some mistakes that we made. You know, then this happened. Here's how we dealt with it afterwards. But it doesn't feel like you are learning a lot about marriage. I learned a lot about my own marriage mm-hmm. after reading it and just things that I want to work on and things that I want to do. And yeah. I don't know. It was just so good. Yeah. Just so good. <laughs> I loved it. And I, it's one of those books that I think will stick with me for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, my next one is a book that I think will be equally polarizing. Uh, This is (laughs) called Everything's Fine by Cecilia Rabbis. It comes out next week. I've talked about this book already on the podcast, so I'm not going to kind of belabor it. But I do know since first reviewing it, oh, I think I reviewed it maybe back in February. And since then, this book has caused quite the, I don't know, social media fervor. Um, Really, really divided readers on you know, whether this book is even worth reading, perhaps whether it is even worth publishing. Um, I certainly think it is worth reading and worth publishing. So I'm going to talk about it, but I do understand where those feelings come from. I think a lot of those feelings come from this book being mismarketed. And so here I am to try to correct that that (laughs) mistake, which is everything's fine is I think being misbilled or kind of misadvertised as a romance novel. That is certainly not the sense that I get from this book. The book is about a young woman named Jess, who is a black woman about to start a job at Goldman Sachs. She is going to work in the male-dominated, white-dominated field of finance in New York. And once she gets there, she really only knows one other person, a white guy named Josh, who she went to college with. And she and Josh have a really kind of tense relationship. Like, they weren't particularly friends in college. He was kind of, I mean... Josh in this book is extremely recognizable. Um, He (laughs) is a white conservative who had no problem debating Jess in college classrooms and things like that. So when they are in the same workplace, there is some tension there, but there's also some comfort there because he is somebody who is familiar to her. The book is kind of billed as a romance or a romantic comedy even between Jess, a black liberal, and Josh, a white conservative. I would argue that's not what this book is at all. (laughs) I would argue this Mm -hmm. book is 
a really well-done, well-crafted social commentary in the same vein as maybe Such a Fun Age or Olivia, was that book called The Other Black Girl? Um, yeah. I think that you read. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. To me, just from the moment I started the book, I, I could not put it down. It, it's one that you could easily read, I think, in one sitting. But from the moment I started, there was just a sense of kind of foreboding to the book that definitely was reminiscent mm. of like a Jordan Peele movie, like Get Out or something oh. like that, where you're just like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? And I, as a white reader, was just sitting with real discomfort through much of the book. Cecilia Rabbis is a Black author. I also find it fascinating. She too worked, maybe even still works in finance. So I know she knows of which she writes. Um, That added, I think, a real level of authenticity to Jess's experience in that workplace. The book starts in 2012. And I guess that leads to my point about the sense of foreboding because Jess and Josh begin to date. They have a relationship. But the whole time you, the reader, know, first of all, (laughs) you're sitting with some of your own discomfort at some of their interactions. But then you, the reader, know, well, 2016 is coming. And what is going to happen? (laughs) What is going to happen then? Um, And the book kind of builds to that. And I think it's done in an incredibly thought-provoking way. Whether or not Cecilia Rabbis handles all of those tensions and issues perfectly, I really can't speak to. But did I find it realistic? Yes. Um, Did I find it incredibly compelling? Yes. Did I find it incredibly upsetting? Yes. I finished this book and was like, I mean, y'all know, like I came to the store, I was like, I got to talk about this. (laughs) I got to talk about this book with somebody. Um, And part of that is because I think it is misbilled. And then part of it is just because I think guys, I think you're supposed to be uncomfortable <laughs> when you read this book. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I think that's how you're supposed to feel. Um, I have not talked to Cecilia Rabbis, so I don't know, but I feel like that is how I was <laughs> supposed to feel while reading this book. I really liked it. I know not everyone feels the same way. I know it will be divisive this summer, just next week when it releases. I think it has already been pretty divisive, but I think it is worth trying and picking up. I... I certainly appreciated Cecilia's and Jess's perspectives and really just thought it was a pretty compelling story. Um, So I really liked it. Jury's out on whether you, the listener, will. But but it is called Everything's Fine by Cecilia Rabbis. It comes out next week. Interesting. I'm going to read that one for sure. Yeah. I can't wait to see. It's one, much like the Harrison Scott Key, it's one that you finish and you really do have to talk about. Like it's a good, Mm -hmm. I think it'd be a good book club conversation um, because the Mm -hmm. best book club books, I think, tend to be a little bit controversial. (laughs) (laughs) Polarizing. (laughs) My next book was very accurately marketed. (laughs) (laughs) What a relief. (laughs) Yeah. This is The Puzzle Master by Danielle Trussoni and this is out June 13th. This one was marketed as like Da Vinci Code meets The Silent Patient, which is extremely accurate. I will just say it's not as fast paced as either of those books. Like I flew through Da Vinci Code. Silent Patient for a lot of people was a one sit read. Uh Uh-huh. This book is a little bit slower just because it goes a little bit more in depth into the situation, but still just as good. So this is about this guy, Mike Brink. And Mike was a high school footballer. I'm pretty sure he was like the quarterback. That's not super important. And one game, he got hit really hard. And he ended up with a concussion, like taken to the hospital. Um, And it just changed the trajectory of his life, like where he thought he was going to go become a professional football player. The next day, he woke up 
And he was just seeing numbers in everything because his concussion turned him into a, like a math puzzle savant, which <laughs> reading this, I was like, how hard do I have to hit my head? <laughs> <laughs> Livy was like, what if it's just a light concussion? <laughs> the chances are slim though, that I would actually become a savant. So I won't do it, but he did. And then he ended up like his, his job is like creating the puzzles for like, it was like New York Times or something big like that. Hmm. Um, but he's like pretty famous for it because he's a savant. Um, and mm-hmm. there's only like, I think she even put like in the very beginning of the book, there's like maybe 300 savants in the world. Like it's a really low number, oh. um, but it's an actual thing. And then we meet Jess Price, who Jess Price has been in prison for murder for the past mm-hmm. like five years. And she hasn't spoken a word. Um, So no one really knows what happens. There's a lot of people out there that think like maybe she didn't actually do it. Um, Prior to the murder, she was like this famous literary fiction writer. Like she wrote a lot of essays. She got famous for them. Um, So like there's a whole community of people that like love her writing that were really thrown off when this murder happened. And then she was put in jail for it. Hmm. And so Jess is in prison. She creates this puzzle. And they contact Mike because they're like, no one else can solve this puzzle. Maybe you can. And then they realize that she created that puzzle because she knew she would be able to reach Mike Brink because of this Oh. Puzzle. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> plot uh-huh. It really did. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so then together, well, kind of together. <laughs> They like end up involved in like a, a lot deeper of a conspiracy than than what's on the surface of this book that I can't go into because it will be a, a big spoiler. But mm. it does have like a feel of almost like the cloisters, the Katie Hayes novel, where like it's it's like touching into the supernatural. This one goes a little bit deeper into it, mm. but it also has like a thick backstory based in like realistic hmm. things. Is it the um, start of a series or just a standalone? Nope, just a standalone, which I really okay. appreciated. Yeah. 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 But it was excellent. And the characters were really, really good. Like, I really liked Mike. He also, oh, why didn't I tell you guys this? He <laughs> has this little dog. Her name is Conundrum. She's a, a, a dachshund. <laughs> um, but he calls her Connie and he brings her everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah, it was excellent. I really liked it. It was yeah, okay. it was really good. Okay. That sounds good. Thank you. I'm looking forward to that one too. My own to to be read list is growing <laughs> yeah. very much. My next book is You Were Always Mine by Christine Pride and Joe Piazza. It's coming out June the 13th. I did try to read their first book, which was We Are Not Like Them, which did very well and, and everyone really enjoyed. I really liked the, what I read of their first book, but I never finished it. And I said, it's not the book's fault. Because the book came out the same day my youngest child was born. So I think I just wasn't like in the best headspace to be reading at the time. But uh, this book, I was excited to pick up and it, I wasn't disappointed. Um, it follows the perspective of Daisy, a young white girl, and Cinnamon, who is probably uh, you know in her 20s and she's a black woman. They meet by chance on a park bench. Like Cinnamon goes out there for her lunch break and... Daisy just meets her and they just kind of continue meeting every week at this bench. 
And one day Cinnamon goes out there and she finds an abandoned baby, mm-hmm. which I don't know about y'all, but like, I used to have like dreams of finding abandoned babies. Like, I just thought like, wouldn't that be so cool? Like just to find a baby and then it would be, be mine. <laughs> have you Googled that? <laughs> <laughs> what does that like dream mean? mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have, I have lots of children. So it's not about Ooh. wanting children. I just thought like, you know, having a baby is so tough. And then like adopting a baby is so I mean, tough. And I'm like, what if I just found a baby? I admit, I wish the stork was real all the time. Like, yeah, wish right. a baby a lot of legalities so involved in that. <laughs> yeah, so many, so many, so many legalities. But, but that's honestly like, that's covered in this book because she finds the baby and everyone's like, take it to the police, take it to the police. And for reasons that I won't go into, she doesn't take it mm. to the police. Um, it's And it's a white baby and she's a black woman. So she's sort of taking care of this baby and a lot of her life and her backstory and maybe lies that she has told people to get where she is today. They start to unravel mm. as people start to ask questions and more people start to come into her life. She's also looking for Daisy who hasn't met up with her. And so she doesn't know where Daisy is. And so she's looking for Daisy so we get chapters by Daisy, we get chapters by Cinnamon, and it just, it reminds me a lot of like a Jodi Picoult That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it like, yeah. in fact, as I started to to write about this, I thought, wait, who, who wrote this? But <laughs> yeah. it, and, I and I mean that in the, because I love Jodi Picoult too, so like that's mm-hmm. no, um, but it just reminds me of that kind of, it deals with racism, mm-hmm. it deals with motherhood, um, it deals with secrets and like the lies that we tell ourselves and the lies that we tell others to get um, where we are today. So it's very good. I think anybody would like it. I, I have to say I'm not quite finished with it yet, but um, what I have read of it, like it's pretty PG. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if you're a sensitive reader and you just enjoy those types of books, this will be a really great pick. So I'm also really fascinated when it's two authors that write a book together. Always. And I think they did a great job. I I hope I didn't dream this. Uh, I know I read their first book. I am pretty sure I interviewed <laughs> them for the podcast. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure I talked to them because their writing process was fascinating to me. I'm always fascinated by yeah. two authors who band together mm-hmm. to write a book. I just, I don't, I mean, I, I understand Google Docs are a thing, but I'm like, how does that work? <laughs> like, how does a cohesive <laughs> novel come out of two people's viewpoints? Yeah. Um, but they were fascinating. And I really did like their first book a lot. So I'm intrigued by this one too. Yeah, this one's really good. Okay, my next one is a work of nonfiction. It is called Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. This is by Aisha Harris. It comes out on June 13th. Aisha is one of the hosts of NPR's podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is a podcast I listen to religiously, I think, pre-pandemic. And then during the pandemic, I like... I think I really narrowed down what I was listening to. I, I don't know. I, I stopped consuming a ton of stuff, but I still will pop in to certain episodes of Pop Culture Happy Hour, like if it's a topic that interests me. So anyway, Aisha Harris is one of those co-hosts, and she has written a book, an essay collection, kind of all about different pop culture that has shaped her life and both the beauty in that and then also some of the problematic parts of that. And I read this. This was a great uh, plain book. It's part of the reason I wanted to mention it today. I read it earlier this year when I was going on a trip. And I mm-hmm. I love an essay collection. I suspect this would probably be a fantastic audiobook because I would suspect that podcast host Aisha Harris narrates it if I if I had to guess. <laughs> and um so I think if you're if you're wondering about 
which one of these books you could listen to on audio. I think this would be a really good one. Um, I love the audiobook format. I also really liked that I think I went into this expecting it would almost be like a Jesse Klein, mm-hmm. Tina Fey, like humor humorous essay collection, but instead it's really thoughtful. And I'm about to use this adjective and I do not mean it in a negative way. It almost feels academic, like because she has put so much thought and effort into analyzing these different TV shows, this different type of music, different artists, different authors. So it almost works as a piece of cultural criticism. Um, I'm coming off of just having read Monsters by Claire Dieterer. And so maybe that's on the forefront of my mind. But if Monsters by Claire Dieterer is like on one end, super literary and super academic, I think Aisha's is is a little more centered than that. But um, it's just incredibly thought-provoking. And I think you will end the book maybe being more maybe more critical or thoughtful about your culture that you consume. So I really liked this one. It also was different from what I first thought it would be, but I enjoyed it. I think Aisha Harris is a really good writer. um, And I think if you like her work on pop culture happy hour, you will certainly like this book. It is wannabe reckonings with the pop culture that shapes me out on June 13th. And the cover is so bright and it's beautiful. Good. It book. looks like um like a superhero. <laughs> Very yeah, like yeah. Kind of summer, a superhero movie, which I think she addresses in the book as well. So, mm. okay, going into middle grade because I feel like I always have to throw at least one in there since I read <laughs> so many. This next one is out June twentieth. It's called "102 and Two Days of Lying About Lauren" um, by Mora Mora Jortner. I always Shoot, feel like that, I'm in the say that. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Should I, should I redo that intro? <laughs> this next book, out June 20th, is 102 Days of Lying About Lauren by Moira Jortner. Shoo, Moira. I know. Yeah. I feel like I'm in the Sisters movie that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, when she's like, Moira. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, this book was excellent. And, and everyone's gonna look at me like I'm a little bit crazy when I say the start of this book, but just hang in there. Um, this is we meet this girl, Lauren, who we know as mouse, on the 102nd day of being abandoned in an amusement park. I know, it sounds dark. Okay, it sounds okay. sad. But <laughs> <laughs> Moira Jortner <laughs> did a great job because she started on day 102. So we already know that 102 mm-hmm. is the last day. So this is the last day mm-hmm. Mouse is in this amusement uh, park. Okay. So like light lighten it up a little bit, you know? <laughs> it does <laughs> right. she's gonna take a little bit up. of the burden of being the reader off of you a little bit. Uh-huh. But Mouse has like lived here for 102 days and survived by like she's the only thing she stole during her days there is just a park t-shirt like an employee t-shirt so she like wears that every day um she like sleeps in one of the like abandoned shack like roller coaster type buildings Mm. um and she just goes around she sweeps the paths (laughs) and everyone's just like yeah she works here she found a little (laughs) name tag that like says mouse so everyone just calls her mouse and then like all of the park employees are like convinced that there's a ghost there the irony being that mouse is the ghost and so they will oh, like. Okay. So there's other employees. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. Like, she's yeah. Not I'm by sorry. Herself. She oh, was okay. abandoned <laughs> in a very active amusement park. There we go. <laughs> there it is. 
<laughs> Got it. I was like, oh no, she's been alone for us. I don't know why this is so hard for me. Okay. I tried. Active amusement park, but she was abandoned. (laughs) She sweeps the sidewalk because there's so many people there that there's trash around. Okay. Okay, great. Because I did picture her just sweeping an abandoned. Yeah. In like a. Like an empty yeah, six flags. And I thought like, she's lost her mind yeah. after 102 days. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This no, is depressing. No, no, no. no, no okay, not great. depressing. This sounds fun. I mean, a little <laughs> sad, but like. <laughs> yeah. Sounds fun. But, anyways, Mouse sweeps. Um, and then, because like all of the park employees are convinced that there's a ghost around, because Mouse did a prank one day where she acted like a ghost in the window, they mm. now leave like food out as like an offering for the ghost. And Mouse okay. eats that food. <laughs> And so, like, she's, like, she's surviving, you know. Mm -hmm. She's doing okay for her situation. Mm -hmm. And she's, like, made a friend who's, like, the the son of, like, the CEO of the amusement park. And then in the all-in-one-day, this girl approaches her at the start of the day and is, like, Lauren. And (sighs) she's just, like, I don't know who you're talking about and, like, runs away. And then this like huge mm-hmm. storm hits and her and her best friend, who's the CEO's son are stuck in like her abandoned roller coaster shack that she like lives mm-hmm. in. And then the girl who recognized her as Lauren also gets stuck ah. in there with them and ah. stuff starts to come out. I don't want to spoil the story. It has a great ending, okay. um, but you realize that like mouse Lauren whatever you want to call her was actually being watched over the entire time by like different park employees who like kind of knew the situation Mm -hmm. that was happening, but didn't like out, like they didn't realize she was like living there. Otherwise they would have done something, but they did Mm -hmm. know that she was like, at least needed help. Hmm. Okay. It was really well done. And a short one too, like you fly through it. Um, but mouse or Lauren, um, is a really great character. And so is her best friend who also works there. There's a lot of depth to all the characters there. That was really great. Mm -hmm. But that is 102 days of lying about Lauren abandoned in an active amusement park. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Okay. My next one is, which I'm honestly surprised Annie did not want to talk about this one, but it's never give up a Prairie family story. I love Tom Brokaw, my childhood crush. I know you do. (laughs) I know. Uh, Um, (laughs) uh, Really, this is not normally the type of book that I would pick up, but I thought, well, let me just start reading it and see if it's something I want to talk about on the podcast. And I just kept like going mm-hmm. back to it. Not, this is going to sound bad. Like not, it's not like I didn't want to, but I was like, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't the type of book I normally read, but I just kept going back to it. And I was like, well, here mm-hmm. we go. So I'm, I'm reading it, reading the whole thing. It is the story of Tom's parents, Red and Jean and their lives, like prior to their marriage, um, And then, of course, their lives afterwards. But as you can imagine, like Red, uh, Tom's dad, uh, had a very hard Mm -hmm. life. Like he dropped out of school after second grade. Y'all, second grade. He sounds like Red Foreman from that 70s show. (laughs) (laughs) Olivia's stuck on that detail. (laughs) He also dropped out of school in second grade. But I mean, honestly, as a parent, as I was reading this, you know, as a parent now in 2023 with you know, child labor mm-hmm. laws and also just, you know, how, what we expect out of our kids um, and how we, 
I will even say how we coddle our children a lot, like in 2023, reading a book about a young boy who's nine, who is going out and doing incredibly difficult manual labor every day, like with the approval of grownups, <laughs> like grownups are hiring this young, tiny boy to do incredibly hard labor. You know, it, it just made my jaw drop as I was reading it. It was just unbelievable. But he learned the whole book is basically about like how his dad learned these lessons through scarcity, through poverty, through hardship that really served him well his the rest of his life and also, you know, provided a stable home and family for Tom to grow up in as well. And that's where he learned a lot of his lessons. Um, I have been enjoying reading this book out loud to my kids when they complain about <laughs> doing the dishes. <laughs> what a great parenting tactic. <laughs> Just like, let me tell you about Red Brokaw and what his life was like. So, um, but really this is great. It's nonfiction, mm-hmm. but it, I mean, it reads like fiction because it's truly unbelievable what their lives were like, but it would be a great Father's Day gift or really anyone that's interested. If you like historical fiction, you would probably mm-hmm. love this, even though it's it's a nonfiction mm-hmm. true story. Tom Brokaw is a fantastic writer. He's a great storyteller. Uh, so I, I haven't quite finished this one yet, but it's just, it's really enjoyable. I kept going back to it. So I will finish He is a it. great writer. Um, I really yeah. hope he never comes out as problematic because I really... He was my childhood no. news anchor, and I just love him so much. <laughs> just loved him so much. Well, you know, just based on what I've seen of how he was raised in this book by his family, I think I think he's a stand-up so. guy. I think he'll be Tom, okay. I hope so, Tom. <laughs> I may regret saying that later. Um, I think I think I might get that book for Shop Dad for Father's Day. I think he'd like it. Yeah. Oh, he would love it. Um, Okay, my last book is called The Second Ending. This is by Michelle Hoffman. It comes out on June 13th. It is a paperback original that I was really, really surprised by. Like, I thought it was such a fun book, very much in the vein of Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which took the world by storm so many years ago. Um, If you liked that book, I do think this one will be interesting to you. It's about Prudence. Prudence was a child prodigy on the piano. And now we meet Prudence and she's an empty nester. Her two daughters have gone away to college and she's left at home and her husband in an act of kindness and to try to like cheer her up from being an empty nester brings her like childhood piano back to their home. And she's kind of furious. Like she has left that part of her behind. She has no desire um, to kind of go back to being this, this piano player. And so the book kind of goes back and forth a little bit among a few different characters because not only does Prudence have to decide like, do I want to, you know, maybe play the piano, maybe try to embrace this hobby that once was like a way of life for me. Um, But at the same time, there is a show, like I almost pictured like an American Idol type show, but only about classical Mm. pianists. And they pit two (laughs) classical pianists against each other. And like, it's like a battle of the bands. And it is, yeah, it's recognized. Yes, it's recognized as bringing Mm. classical music like back to the forefront of culture. And Prudence is offered the opportunity to be one of the pianists on the show. And she has no reason to do this until she does. 
she's being blackmailed and she needs to go on the show for the cash prize. So all of these different things are quite like, let me tell you, this book is madcap in all, like it is laugh out loud funny because you've got Prudence, this child prodigy. You've got kind of a nefarious ex-husband character. You've got a weirdly angry, jealous HOA, like homeowners association member who has it out for Prudence. Um, it is it is so fun. I had a great time with it. I loaned it or gave it to my mom. She also enjoyed it. It took her a minute to get into it, but once she got into it, she enjoyed it. But I thought it was very funny. And so if you liked the wit and the humor in Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which I read that book years ago, but what I really liked about it was kind of this woman goes rogue. Like she kind of, you know, reaches mm-hmm. a breaking point and goes rogue. And that's kind of what happens to Prudence. And people are not used to women reaching their breaking points and they don't really know how to react (laughs) when they do. And I find that to be very funny. So I really liked this book a lot. It's a paperback original. So I think it'd be a good uh, plane or beach book. It is the second ending by Michelle Hoffman out on June 13th. I think we should all start using the word madcap more often. I just Googled that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great word. That's a great word. I was like, for sure. I mean, I can figure out context clues wise, like what we're meaning here. But like, man, I don't think I've ever heard someone actually use that word. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) That was great, Annie. Thank you. Like, how was your day? It was just mad. It feels like it should be like slang for something. It's not. That's a a real word. It's like slip, uh, slipshod and slapdash. We use those at our house all the time. Mm -hmm. I do say slapdash. There's a a great Mm -hmm. comedy skit that uses the word slapdash. Who is it? Eddie Izzard? That was not what I was expecting, uh, but I will go look that up after we That's hang up. That's what I watched growing up. Eddie's <laughs> stand up. Wow. Something about the makeup being a bit slapdash. Anyways, <laughs> my next book. Oh boy. Um, is Lay Your Body Down by Amy Suter Clark, and this is out June 27th. And I don't know why, but this book makes me nervous to talk about. And I think because. When I picked it up, I was like, hmm, this sounds good. And then I got into it and I was like, no, this is excellent. <laughs> so this is about this girl, Del Walker. And Del, a couple years ago, left her like very small Minnesota town um, that was like kind of like run by this cult-like church with this leader, Pastor Rick, which right off the bat, you like hear the word Pastor Rick and you're like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> not, no. it's not good. It's no good. It's not good. I, like, I picked up this book because I saw the word cult-like and I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That grabs me. And then you get into this book and you're like, no, this is madcap. (laughs) And so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, That actually wasn't the correct use of that word. This book (laughs) is not madcap in that that form of the word. She's backtracking. But anyway, Dell has like a troubled history with the church itself, which you like start to piece together as the book goes along. But she returns back to this small town because she hears that her ex, who she like almost was engaged to marry, was recently found killed of and it's deemed like he was accidentally shot while they were out hunting um but the circumstances to which all this information was released is really sketchy 
And she's also just really hurt because this was like her first love. And I mean, she thought they were going to get married. And then he broke up with her to marry her best friend, Eve. Yikes. Yikes. Eve has, since she was a young girl, run this blog called The Noble Wife, which sounds like a red flag. (laughs) (laughs) We're all, I wish wish this was on video as Aaron and I just shake our heads. Nope. Nope. Don't read that. Don't read that. Sounds like a red flag. Is a red flag. flag. Uh, But Eve has like, she has like bought into this Pastor Rick's church vibe, like a hundred percent. And he preaches that like the noble wife is this like submissive wife who cooks, who does whatever her husband asks, is this there to make sure her husband's life is easy breezy. And Eve like started this blog as a child and it has blown up as an adult. And so Eve steals her best friend's husband, gets married, and then he dies. And now all of a sudden Eve is looking like pretty suspicious. Uh Um, And Mm. Del comes back into town to like kind of have like a reckoning moment with this church and this small town and her best friend and like everything that happened. And there was a lot that happened. But the book is written by you get the current day what's going on with Del. You get um, snippets of Eve's blog, and that goes from, like, youngest age to, like, when getting more recent times. And then you get Mm. snippets of Dell's diary, which goes the opposite way of the Noble Wife blog. So it goes from, like, when she finds out he's leaving her for Eve and then backtracks in their relationship. So the writing is spectacular. Yeah, that's great. Um, And it grabs you. The chapters are super short. and. And it's not that they leave you on a cliffhanger. It's just that you, like, have to know what's happening. It was excellent. You loaned this to me, and I I only put it down because I took an ARC home on Saturday and went home and read it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but I started reading this, and I really like it. And the chapters, because of what you just said, like, kind of how they alternate, you really are hooked Mm -hmm. immediately because you're like, now I've got to go. You want to follow the breadcrumbs that they're leaving you, the trails that they're leaving you. Um, I really like this one so far. Yeah, it was great. Anyone who likes cults, um, cold, cold. Not like to be in wait, a cult, but wait. like wants to know more about. It. You know what I mean. We do. As a staff, we talk yeah. about cults a lot because we have a few yeah. people on staff who would be who would easily succumb. Uh, we have <laughs> look. We have talked about this before. We know who would easily succumb, yeah, and they, they know, know it, it too. They know it. And then we have some who could be cult leaders. And we have some mm-hmm. uh, who would roll their eyes and say, absolutely not. And it is delightful to figure out who is who. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> listeners, we'll let you guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Should we do a poll Like Caroline, put that on the <laughs> books. If have like the three options. <laughs> what would Olivia do? <laughs> Lead a cult, be in a cult, or roll her eyes and get out of there. Oh, so great. Okay, um, my last one is called Night Bloom by Peace Edzo Medier. It's coming out June the 13th. All of mine come out June the 13th. That's going to be a big day. This is her second novel. Uh, she's actually Dr. Medier. She has her PhD in public and international affairs. Her first novel was um, His Only Wife, which was, <gasps> you know, so won good. a lot of awards. And it was picked by, yeah, it was picked by Reese as like a book club pick. 
I am listening to this one, which I think I would recommend. I don't know. I think it would be good. Sometimes I listen to a book and I try to imagine reading it in my own, you know, my Mm -hmm. own like head voice or whatever. And I think, would it be just as good? And sometimes it's not. And sometimes it is. And sometimes it would be better. (laughs) So this one I think is a great, (laughs) no, not, not because my book, you know what I mean? Like sometimes the narrator is, is not doing a great job of telling the story in my opinion. So this one is a great narrator and it, but I think it would also be a fantastic, just a uh, regular book as well. If you like to read it in your own <laughs> head voice, <laughs> the cover is beautiful. Like it's got a very dark background, with a lot of bright colors of flowers. This is about Akofa and Selassie. These are female cousins growing up in Ghana and Akofa dreams of going to college in the U S and she works very hard to get there. Like she's a very studious, you know, um, person. And while, Selassie sort of is the more happy-go-lucky one who struggles with her grades and their families do everything they can to help the girls, including like paying for Selassie to go to this very prestigious school that Akofa goes to. But uh, it just uh, doesn't work out for Selassie. Like her grades are not great um, and it works out for Akofa to go to the U.S. And that's when their relationship sort of starts to sever. It suffers a little bit before that, but um, but that's really when they sort of lo- almost lose touch with each other, and not just like in a "oops, I forgot to call my cousin" sort of way, but like like I don't want to ever mm. talk to her again sort of way. And so there, there's a first part of it is a lot of chapters by Akofa and her perspective, and then the other chapters are from Selassie's perspective about the same. And they kind of go back and do the same events, and but you're seeing them from two different perspectives, which I think is a fascinating way to write a story. Um, when Akofa gets to the U S she starts to encounter prejudice that she is astounded by because she's like, I'm smart. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a well-spoken mm-hmm. person. Like I don't understand why people are giving me such a hard time, but she is black and it's America. And as mm-hmm. we know, that is uh, unfortunately very tough sometimes, but it's just, it's compelling. It, I just want to keep reading it. I want to figure out, what's happening and where their stories are going. And I love that now I'm, I'm listening to the chapters by Selassie. And so I'm experiencing these same things over again from her perspective. It's interesting to see, Oh, that's the same event mm. that this is when it's told by one person, it seems like this and when it's told by another person. It seems like that. So this is not the most plot driven book. So if you're someone who really wants the story to kind of move along, this probably may not be for you, but if you love well, thought out where you're just so invested. I was so invested from the minute I started listening to it Mm -hmm. in the characters. And so if you love a good character driven book, this would be perfect for you. It's about family. It's about secrets that we keep from family and why we keep them. And um, the way that our family can be the thing that propels us to greatness, or it can be the thing that takes us on a completely different path down a not so great life. So I would highly recommend it. It's coming out June 13th, Night Bloom by Peace Adzo Medier. I think I'll have to read that one. I loved her first book. Yes. So don't forget, listeners, that if you liked some of the books that we talked about today, you can pre-order them um, through the book's website, bookshelfthomasville.com. Just type episode 427 into the search bar and you will see all of today's books listed. Use code NEWRELEASEPLEASE at checkout to get 10% off your order of all of today's titles. This week, What I Am Reading is brought to you by Visit Thomasville. Summer is a wonderful time to see Thomasville, Georgia. 
If it's time to hit the road for a quick getaway, we are exactly the town you're looking for. You can rekindle your spark, explore historical sites, indulge in dining out, shop at amazing independent stores, and finally, relax and unwind. There's no better getaway than Thomasville. Whether you live close by or are just passing through, we hope you'll visit beautiful Thomasville, Georgia. It's worth the trip. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. This week, I'm reading Excavations by Kate Myers. Olivia, what are you reading? I'm reading Light Comes to Shadow Mountain by Tony Bazeo. Erin, what are you reading? I'm still reading You Are Always Mine by Christine Pride and Joe Piazza. Thank you again to our sponsor, Visit Thomasville. If you want to plan your next getaway, visit thomasvillega.com. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Cami Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacy Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Kate Johnston Tucker, Susan Eulings. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.